you've been a Christian for any time at all, you probably have observed that whatever is going on in the world, whatever is true in the world, usually makes its way into the church, at least into the professing church, the broader church. And one thing that has certainly made great inroads into modern Christianity is this idea of egalitarianism. We live in an extremely and increasingly egalitarian society. I don't mean simply uh, the relationship between husbands and wives. That's how we typically think of egalitarianism. Uh, Those who do not believe that there's any uh, role difference between men and women. Uh, In other words, the the Bible says that the, the man is the head of his wife and the wives are to submit to their husbands. And the egalitarian view says, no, we can't have any of those kind of distinctions. Men and women are completely equal. Uh, That spills over into church leadership as well. We see the battle raging. Uh, Do elders uh, have to be men? Is that exclusive to men and preachers? Can that... can women preach? Can women be pastors? That kind of thing. And the egalitarian view says, yes, uh, both sexes can do anything and everything. That's that's one very important uh, expression of egalitarianism. But step back for a moment and look at our, our whole world, our whole culture. The idea is that there can't be distinctions between people. Everybody, not only should be treated the same way, according to this worldview, but everyone has to have the same outcome, the same experience. Uh, This is what is behind the World Economic Forum. If you're familiar with that uh, organization that is influencing leaders and governments all over the world, including here in the U.S., uh, the, the, the socialism, the, the social contracts, the idea that we can't have anybody uh, who is, has less than others and nobody who has more. So we got to punish the rich and that kind of thing. And one of the places that leads to is that you don't get to earn, you don't get to strive for anything. It, it's not about what you do. Uh, it's we collectively have to make sure that everybody has the same experience. And, you know, one of the absurd examples of that is getting rid of trophies in in Little League and, and high school sports and that kind of thing. You remember that big craze a few years ago when uh, it was, we're going to eliminate any, any rewards for the winning team. There's no winning and losing. Everybody's the same, which, of course, removes all drive and competition altogether. Well, that's just not how we are built. We are built to reward those who who work hard and achieve uh, other things and realize just not everyone's going to put forth that effort. This can, uh, this can lead into a universalism when it comes to the things of God. We have to be very careful. Not everyone reaches the goal of heaven. Not everyone achieves the, uh, the new heavens and new earth that we've talked about here in Philippians. And uh, today we're going to see that the Apostle Paul uh, he had his eyes set on the prize, and not everybody will receive that prize. That's why it's important that we do what God tells us to do and do what is required uh, to get to that end goal. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Welcome, everybody. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning, Karen. 
And for the rest of you who are with us, uh, we are glad that you've joined us. My name is Doug. I'm the president of Cross to Crown Ministries and New Covenant School of Theology. And we gather here Monday through Friday, 7.30 a.m. Mountain Time. And we study God's Word to renew our minds and to grow in the things of God and to know Christ more deeply. And uh, that's what we're doing here. Uh, We are in the book of Philippians. And uh, it's been challenging, but it's been good. I've heard uh, from some of you, and I I know that it's it's been a challenging but good study so far. Um, Today's a good day. It's Tuesday, January 11th. 2022. It's a good day because on this Tuesday, January 11th, Jesus Christ is Lord and he reigns and he is putting all of his enemies under his feet, even as we talk together. So rejoice and be glad in this day that God has made and don't let any circumstance or anyone else uh, remove that rejoicing from you. Even in the hard things, we have reason to rejoice. So I'm glad you're here, and I pray that this will help you rejoice as we study. All right, so let's continue on with uh, Philippians, and we're going to pick up in verse 14, where the apostle says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. So do you remember Paul's calling? Do you remember when God confronted him with the gospel? Uh, let's take a look at it. It's in Acts chapter 9, and here's, here's the story. Uh, it says, now Saul, that's, that's Paul's uh, Jewish name. His Greek name was Paul. Uh, he didn't get a name change like some people in the Bible. Uh, this was his Jewish name. So uh, Luke, who's writing Acts, calls him by his Jewish name here. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Remember, that was Paul's background. He was a very zealous, enthusiastic Jew, and he looked at the disciples of Jesus as blasphemers who had to be stopped. So he is breathing, it says, interesting terminology, he's breathing threats and murder, This man was responsible for the death of Christians early on. And he asked for letters uh, from the high priest to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's Christians. So Saul wants to go to Damascus and if he finds any Christians, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Uh, that was unusual. This was this was uh, indicative of his zealousness for uh, crushing Christians, as he also wanted to bind women and and uh, persecute them. That that wasn't typical of that day. As he was traveling on his way to persecute Christians, it happened that he was as he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So he's on his way to persecute Christians. It's in broad daylight and a light is shining from heaven such that, uh, as we'll see in a moment, he's blinded by it. Now, imagine that. It's high noon. Sun is shining and there's another light so bright that that it blinds you And he hears this voice calling your name twice, which is for emphasis in Jewish categories. He says, why are you persecuting me? 
So this voice out of heaven, you're persecuting me. Why are you doing it? Saul says, who are you, Lord? He doesn't know who this is, but he knows whoever it is, is his Lord. Whoever can speak out of heaven and cause this bright light to shine, he's going to give him the proper reverence. Who are you, Lord? The next thing Saul hears is, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Paul, or Saul, thinks Jesus is a fraud. He thinks Jesus is a sham. He thinks Jesus is a blasphemer who must be shut down. And he thinks Jesus is dead. Because every Jew knew that imposter Jesus was crucified. Hmm. Now he hears this voice from heaven, I am Jesus, and you are persecuting me. Imagine what was going on in Paul's mind at this point. He says, the voice continues, get up and enter the city, and it will be told what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. He was blinded. And leading him by the hand, they brought him to Damascus. He was there three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Yeah, of course, he was not hungry. He has to ponder all of this. What in the world? How could he have been so wrong? How could he have missed it? Remember, this was a Jew of Jews. This was a, a man who understood the scriptures and, 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 and studied under the greatest rabbi of his day and had a, a two or three PhDs in theology. How could he have missed the truth of Jesus? And now he's been persecuting the followers of Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm going to strike you blind and send you somewhere. I'm going to tell you what's, what's ahead for you. He had to be thinking, this is not good. What is Jesus going to do to me? I've been killing his people. No wonder he wasn't hungry, huh? Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. You bet he was praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. Wait, Lord, you want me to go see this man, Saul? I know who Saul is. It's not pretty. He is rough against your people. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. If I go to him, Lord, what's this going to mean? But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed, entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell something from his eyes, something like scales, and he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized. So here we have this record of the call 
from heaven of the apostle Paul literally called. He heard the voice. You, I'm calling you, and I have a job for you, Saul. You are not going to bear my name before kings in the, among the Gentiles and the leaders of Israel, and you're going to suffer greatly for my sake. Now, what we know is uh, Saul did not immediately enter into this worldwide evangelistic ministry. He did some, but he got away for years. And he went to what I call Jesus Seminary. Uh, he pondered the scriptures, the old covenant scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, and now was searching for how do these things point to Jesus. And he began to see that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the prophecies and predictions and everything in the Old Testament. And then he began to see that this kingdom of Jesus was going to expand throughout the entire world and culminate in the new heavens and new earth, the resurrection as he has already called it, as he, as he referred to it. And now he realizes his mission that the Lord has called him to is to take this gospel to the whole world, to call as many people to believe in Jesus, to bow the knee to Jesus, to be forgiven of their sins, and to have the hope of eternal life in the resurrection as, as he can. So that's what he spent the rest of his life doing. And now when we read this book of Philippians, we know he's been doing this for at least 20, maybe 30 years. He's been preaching the gospel. But what about him personally? What is he trying to do? Why is he doing this? Well, he knows the end result of his life is to have that resurrection and the reward that God has called him to. He says here, I press on to the goal of, for the prize of the upward call. God called him upward. The, goal came, the, the, the calling came from God and called him upward to the new heavens and new earth. Right now, the new heavens and new earth are still in heaven, right? We're, the resurrection is still in heaven, so to speak, and we're waiting for him to return and bring us to that end. But the call came from, from above to Paul, and he's been living his life devoted to this ever since. Think back to your own calling. Think back to when you first believed the gospel. Now, some of you were raised in a Christian home and, and you were taught the things of God early on and, and you don't really remember a time when you didn't believe, but at some point you made a profession of faith. You were baptized. You said, yes, I personally, I believe this, what I've been taught by my parents and my church and that kind of thing. Others of you were running far away from God. You, you had no concern for the things of God whatsoever. And God, kind of like he did with Paul, he confronted you with your sin and he placed the call on your life and your heart to repent of your sin and believe in him. That was your upward call, the call from above, the call from God in your life to believe in his son. So that's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, I have a goal now in mind. I am pressing toward the goal. It's that imagery of the long distance runner who sets his eyes on the finish line or an archer who is locked in on the target. 
It's what he wants. He wants to hit the target. He wants to hit the bullseye with his arrow. Why? Because there's a prize waiting for him. There's a prize. If we hit the target, we will receive a prize. We'll receive the reward. Why do Olympians train and spend so much time and dedicate themselves with such fervor to make it to the Olympics? It's not simply for the experience. It's not so that they get to say, hey, I I went to the, the Olympics. That's not their goal. That's not their ambition. They want the gold medal. If we eliminated the gold medals and the silver medals and the bronze medals, if we eliminated the prizes, then pretty soon the Olympics would die out. If we eliminated the World Series trophies and rings and the Super Bowl rings and, and all the rewards for those things, last night was the, uh, uh, the college football championship. If there was no reward, if there's no prize to earn, pretty soon people would stop putting forth the efforts for those competitions, because no matter how much our egalitarian society tries to end those things, we are driven by this desire to accomplish what we set out to accomplish, to receive the reward. Paul says there is a prize, there is a wreath, a, 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 a crown or a, uh, a reward for achieving the goal. He said the same thing to the Corinthians in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. It says, do you not know that those who run in a race, they all run, but only one receives the prize? Same word. And then he gives the command, you run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games, Olympic games, exercises self-control in all things. They devote themselves to, to you know, lifting weights and to keeping a certain diet and to uh, running longer and longer distances over time in order to build up that endurance. Why? Well, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, right? Those, uh, those prizes that any of the sports and athletes gain, well, they're going to perish. They're not ultimately and eternally worth anything, but we do it to receive an imperishable wreath. Paul is not afraid to say you need to run so as to win. You need to discipline your bodies, discipline yourselves to achieve the goal. This is what he says about himself. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I have a purpose, he says. I box in such a way as not beating the air. He's not just out there shadow boxing. He says, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. He's not afraid to say we need to run so as to win the race. The Christian life is not simply making a profession of faith, putting your faith in Jesus in some event, and then just sitting around saying, well, I know we're all going to get this, so I can just rest here and not at not strive for anything. No, Paul says, I am pressing on toward the goal to receive the reward. It's active. Well, how does he press on? What has he been saying? I want to know Christ. I want to find my righteousness exclusively in Christ through faith. 
I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want the resurrection power to make me holy. I want to be conformed to his death. I want to continue to die to my sin, die to myself, so that I might achieve this prize. And remember, we saw this yesterday. Paul says, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of that resurrection yet. But this is the one thing, forgetting what lies behind and reaching toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize. See, this is the great danger of our egalitarian view creeping into the church where we think everybody's going to heaven. I had a conversation one time. I don't think I shared this with you. I uh, Sometimes I forget what I've shared with you and what I've shared in other contexts. But uh, I, I had a conversation one time with a pastor who told me that he c- is convinced that baptism grants faith and anyone and everyone who's baptized unless they intentionally reject Christ later in life, they're going to heaven. So it really doesn't matter how they live their lives. It would be better if they uh, served Jesus well, but as long as they're baptized, they're in because baptism seals them and, and they're, they're, they belong to the Lord. That is not the attitude of the New Testament. That is not the attitude of the Apostle Paul. Another uh, similar error is, uh, if you remember, some of you are old enough probably to remember the old lordship controversy, where there was this view of a carnal Christian, that you can receive Jesus as Savior, but you may or may not take him as Lord. So you can pray a prayer, you can say the right words, you ask Jesus into your heart, that kind of thing, and, and you're a Christian. Now, you may be a carnal Christian, you may live your life in the flesh, and never truly strive for sanctification and holiness and that kind of thing. But you're in because you you did this thing. You prayed the prayer. You asked Jesus into your heart or whatever, or you baptized. Uh, it'd be better if you also accept him as Lord, but you don't have to. Friends, that is heresy. You cannot have Jesus as Savior and not have him as Lord. The Christian denies himself The Christian says, I give up my life. Remember what Jesus said. What profit is there if you gain the world but forfeit your soul? The Christian life is one of saying, it's not about me. I'm not the Lord of my life. I bowed the knee to Jesus and I will serve him. And I will deny myself whatever pleasures that I need to in order to attain to the eternal reward, the eternal uh, call, the, the, the prize of resurrection life. And that means we have to give up our own pursuits and say, I will follow Jesus wherever he leads. He is my king. He's my Lord. If you take him as savior, you take him as king. And Paul says, I I have not achieved the goal yet. I have not reached the finish line. And I'm going to beat my body into submission lest after calling all these other people to receive the reward, I myself come up short. The Christian life is 
one of constant training and running and, and, and the marathon, the, the, we're, we're in the Olympic race right now. We're in it. It's not future. We're in it. And, and we are striving to reach the goal. We can see the finish line, but we're not there yet. And we keep running. We have to keep running. We have to keep training all of those kinds of things. He says, I'm pressing on and let us therefore as many as are perfect. You think you're mature in Christ? You've reached the the goal of maturity. Let us all have this attitude that we aren't there yet. We have a prize waiting for us, a reward. Someday we will stand on the platform and have the medal placed around our neck, but we're not there yet. We need to have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you. He will, he'll, he'll help you see it. But this is what mature Christians look like. We want resurrection power to overcome sin. We want to be conformed to his death. We want to participate in his sufferings. It's not all about uh, just experiencing everything that we want in this life. Let us keep living by the standard to which we've obtained. So whatever level of maturity you're at, keep living there. He says, brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So let me ask, what kind of mentors in the Lord do you seek out? Who are the people that you want to influence you? Whose lifestyles do you want to mimic? Paul says, I am striving to know Christ in these ways. There are other Christians that are also doing that. Those are the ones you should try to look like. Those are the ones you should choose as mentors. Be very careful as you're reading books, as you're watching podcasts, and uh, uh, as you uh, let Christian leaders and teachers influence you. Be very careful. Don't let the egalitarians influence you. That just everybody who prays the prayer getting in, that we, we, can't look, we can't have any kind of striving and laboring and pursuing. No, Paul doesn't hesitate to say, I'm, I am seeking the goal. I want to achieve the goal of eternal life. So if, if you are around people who just say, hey, Anytime you think about your own effort, you've lost the gospel. You're trying to earn your salvation. No, that's not true. If you think you deserve a reward merely based on your efforts, then yeah, that's, that's a false gospel. But he has called us from heaven to live our lives in pursuit of eternal life. So make sure that you are careful who you choose to listen to. Curtis says, ah, I had my bow out this morning. <laughs> Good. And when you sh- get ready to shoot that bow, you've, you want to hit the target, right? That's who we are to uh, follow. Last thing for today. Are you the kind of person that can say to other Christians, maybe less mature Christians, hey, come follow me as I follow Christ? Christ, for the joy set before him, went to the cross, right? We know that from Hebrews. Think about it. Why did he endure the cross? Why did he go? Why did he finish the race he was on? 
to get to the joy of the other side. There was reward for him. What was his reward? The father said, now that you've done this, all the nations of the earth are your inheritance. He had a, he had a prize waiting for him. Well, we are co-heirs of eternal life. We are co-heirs of, of all that with him if we suffer with him, if we finish the race and finish well, if we keep going. Are you the kind of Christian who can say to someone else, I'm following Christ, I'm denying myself. It's not about this life. It's about achieving to the eternal life, to resurrection. I'm on that path. Come follow me. Look what I do as I see what Jesus did. We are to strive to be those kinds of people because the world need, Christians need mentors and examples of those who get it and who will pursue this prize. So think about this today. Two, two things. Number one, who are the mentors and the examples that you can follow who are actively with self-denial pursuing resurrection life and the sufferings of Christ and the knowledge of Christ in that way? And number two, who is further behind you that you could say, hey, come follow me as I follow Christ? May we all attain to that prize and strive as the Apostle Paul did, and we, may we lead others. Friends, think on this. Have a great day. Grace and peace to you. And we will back here, be back here tomorrow to continue studying this letter to the Philippians. God bless.